um, Keith McLeod's coworker uh, that he got really close to before uh, COVID, Randy uh, Hinton. We've been praying for him uh, through his divorce, and then recently his father passed away. Uh, and in the midst of that, um, Keith has, has brought a card this evening. So it's on the Welcome Center if you would like to sign that card. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Randy, uh, I was talking to Keith a little before the service. Randy grew up in a Catholic, uh, or he, he claims to be Catholic. He goes to Catholic church. Um, his dad, who passed away, was a believer. And uh, Keith was telling of a, a neat story when um, he was talking to Randy, and he was telling him of his need to be saved. And, and Randy said, well, I, I am a believer. And Keith said, well, how do you know? He said, my father is a believer. And, you know, I haven't heard the gospel at my Catholic church, but, you know, my father told me the gospel and I believed. Um, and so that's what, that's what Randy told um, Keith. Uh, and, and he's also mentioned several times that he'd like to, to visit our church because he knows that we've been praying for him. Uh, so it would be a, a neat thing for us as a church to uh, show that a little bit, show our love and our care for him by signing uh, a card that Keith can give to him, just another opportunity to, to reach out to him. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. That's out on the Welcome Center uh, if you would like to sign that card for Randy, uh, uh, for Keith out there. I invite you to join me this evening in Psalm 58. Psalm 58. It's a very difficult psalm. It's a very heavy psalm. And as we come to Psalm 58, this evening, I would encourage you to remember the truths that we have just sung, that we stand redeemed, not because of our works, not because of anything that we have done. We stand redeemed because of Christ, because of what he has done, because of our faith in him alone. We are righteous not because of ourselves, but because of Christ. It's important for us to remember as we come to Psalm 58 this evening. We'll read it, and then we'll pray. Psalm 58. Do you indeed speak right? Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? No. In heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf cobra that stops its ears, which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. Break their teeth and their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if, in, as if cut in pieces. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes, like a stillborn child of a woman that may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, as in his living and burning wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, even as we come boldly before you this evening in Christ alone, we recognize our own sin. We recognize the fact that we have no ground to stand on which our, in and of ourselves. We recognize that we are wicked. Even today, even this hour, we have sinned. We are those who love injustice and unrighteousness. And yet you sent your son to die for us. We rejoice in the cross because we know if left to ourselves, we would have no hope. But in Christ alone, we have hope. In Christ alone, we are made righteous. Father, we pray that even as we look at this passage this evening, that you would be lifted up, that you would be honored in this hour. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As I mentioned, Psalm 58 is a very heavy psalm. It is a community lament, a cry for justice. A community in the midst of uh, injustice, crying out for justice. It's a very vivid psalm. It can really be broken down into three parts, verses 1 to 5, injustice, verses 6 to 9, judgment, and verses 10 to 11, justice. First thing we see in the first five verses is injustice. What is going on here? Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? It's interesting that word silent ones, if you look in different translations, it's, it's, it's translated many different things. It might say lowercase gods or lords. But it's not talking about gods as in deities but it's people in places of authority you lords over lands you who have authority what's in view here is a a throng or a group of leaders specifically judges those who are tasked with handing down justice with defending justice with standing up for justice and yet, they're described as silent ones. Do you indeed speak righteousness, you silent ones? Silence is, is not always best. Sometimes it is necessary to speak up, to speak justice in the face of injustice. And what we find here is that those who should promote justice, who should defend justice, are silent in the face of injustice. They hold their tongues. They turn their faces away. They ignore. Do you judge uprightly? Do you judge rightly, you sons of men? You who have authority, who sit there in silence? It's a very powerful Question, do you judge uprightly, you sons of men? As they sit silently, David does not sit silently. David refuses to be silent, even in their silence. Even as they ignore the injustice all around them, David refuses to ignore it. He brings it right to their doorstep. He asks them directly. 
Do you judge of rightly, sons of men? Are you right in what you're doing? I remember many times as a young man, when I would get in trouble and my dad would, would come and he'd confront me and I'd come up with all these excuses and he'd say, do you really think that you were right? There's something stinging about that honest confrontation, is there not? As you're looking into the eyes of whoever it is that's confronting you, your dad, your friend, someone who cares for you, who comes along and says, do you really think that you're doing right? You can make all these excuses, but deep in your heart, if you're honest with yourself, do you really think that you're doing right here? You know you're wrong, and I know you're wrong. David is not asking as if he's not sure. He's confronting them. He's speaking the truth to them as they sit in silence. In fact, he goes on in verse 2 to just very say, to, to answer his question very plainly. No! Do you think you're right? No, you're not! I know you're not. You know you're not. In fact, not only do you sit in silence in the face of injustice, but look what he goes on to say. No, in heart you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands on the earth. Not only are you passive in this, not only are you sitting there silent as others are working uh, unjust works, as they're being uh, as uh, unjust works are thriving, not only are you sitting passively, you are active in this. In your heart, you work wickedness. You weigh out the violence of your hands in the earth. Not only are you silent in the face of injustice, you promote it. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. Very plainly here, David is calling them out. You are not God's. See, David knows that all men are born sinful. He's, he says that very plainly in other psalms. In other places, he writes very plainly, I was a sinner from my mother's womb. We are all sinners from birth. But the difference, the difference is that David is submitted to God. You are not God's. You have not turned. You have not submitted It's almost as if I, I, I'm not, I, I am grieved by this injustice, but I'm not surprised by it because this is who you are because you have not submitted to God. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. It is dangerous. They're like a, the, the deaf cobra that stops its ear which will not heed the voice of charmers, charming ever so skillfully. You might, at first you might think, well, what is David saying here about a deaf cobra? What does that have to do with anything? Because a deaf cobra has no restraint. He is dangerous. He is full of venom. He's got fangs. And there's no restraint. There's only destruction. A cobra that is deaf has no ear. 
to hear a charmer who would calm it down, who would teach it right. It is only destructive. What David is saying here is you are like that, you, you wicked judges. You have no ear for righteousness. You have no interest in justice. You do not care what God says. You are not God's. You love wickedness. Those in authority who should promote justice, who should stand up for the truth, who should stand up for the justice, instead promote injustice. They ignore it when others do it, and they pursue it themselves. For way of illustration, these first five verses, um, a popular theme in, in Hollywood, you might have seen in a movie or something, would be uh, a small town where there's a judge or a sheriff who is crooked. And this one, this judge or this sheriff who has the authority, who is judge and jury of this small town, they should protect this small town. They should stand up for what is right in this small town. And yet, what often happens in these movies or these shows, they take that power and they use it for their own. They don't promote justice. They don't stand up for the oppressed. They have all the power and they are sworn to a position where they should stand for justice. They should promote it. They should defend it. And yet they are utterly wicked and they ignore justice. They turn the other cheek. They they, they look away when their friends are acting wickedly and then they themselves partake in it. And often in those movies, there's no hope. The townspeople are just stuck with it until some hero rides in who can just take the whole thing down. But the picture here in the first five verses is is of that little town where there is no justice and those who should promote it ignore it. In fact, they promote injustice. And there is no hope. There is no one coming. There is just injustice and there is no hope for those who have no power. Verses 6 to 9 then. David prays for judgment to come. For God not to ignore the injustice, to, to insert himself and to act. Come, Lord. And in fact, there's, there's powerful pictures that David puts here. Bring justice on those who have abandoned justice, Lord. Verse 6, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. This goes back to the picture of verses 4 and 5 of a poisonous serpent, of a deaf cobra. No restraint, only destruction. But David prays, break their teeth. A cobra with no teeth has no power. It doesn't matter how much poison there is because it can't get it out. It's powerless. It's not a danger to anyone. Cripple them. Take away their power. Same thing in the second half of that verse. Break out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. This looks back 
to Psalm 57, verse 4. As David is, is praying in a situation which he says, he says, my soul is among lions. They would do me harm. Lions, the picture of power, the picture of danger. Yet here he prays, break out the fangs of the young lion. O Lord, a lion without teeth. Again, it's powerless. Cripple them. Verse 7, he goes on. Let them flow away as waters which run continually. Like water which runs off and then is absorbed into the ground. Let them flow away to scatter. We just talked Sunday night about the project that we did this year. One of the things we did is we were able to uh, get new gutters and, and work on getting the water away from our building. The water that would normally puddle, that would gather in our basement, that would do harm to the building. We were able to get it away from the building. That's what David is, is praying here. Get them away. Let them flow away from me. Verse 7 goes on. When he bends his bow, let his arrows be as if cut in pieces. Literally, pointless. An archer with no arrow, again, is powerless. Take away his power. Verse 8, let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. A snail or a slug that leaves a trail of slime. Literally, the picture is here, as that snail or that slug moves away, it is destroying itself. It's leaving pieces of itself behind. Don't just let him leave. Let him be destroyed as he's leaving. Second half of verse 8 is very graphic, and I want to be gentle here because I know that this is a difficult topic for those who have dealt with miscarriage. It's a powerful picture of powerlessness. The powerlessness of the stillborn that doesn't have a chance. Is there anything more powerless than a baby? Let them be like that. Let them have no chance. Verse 9, before your pots can feel the burning thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind. The idea of someone sitting and, and they're trying to cook and so they're trying to get the water to boil and yet every time before it can get there, a whirlwind comes and takes it all away. When Chris and I first moved to Iowa, it's, it's not as windy in South Carolina as it is here. We have mountains and trees and stuff to break the wind. And when we, were, when we first moved here, it came time to get the leave, and so I went out to do it like I always do it in South Carolina. I got my rake, and I started raking them into piles. And then I'd go to the next pile, and the wind would blow, and that pile would blow away. It was the most frustrating thing ever. That's the illustration here. You're, you're trying to do something. They're trying to get this fire going, get this, this water boiling so that they can cook. And this whirlwind comes just blows it all away. What they are doing is pointless. 
It's useless to rake leaves in Iowa. There's too much wind. It's useless. It's pointless to try and, and, and boil this water because this whirlwind's just taking it away. And it's living and burning with wrath. Act on our behalf, O Lord. These are all powerful illustrations that David is saying. Come, Lord, take away their power. Make them weak. Take them away. Save us, O Lord. And in verse 10, you have justice. Verse 10 and 11, justice has come. And the righteous rejoice in the justice of God that has come. The righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. This is not a childlike glee over another's downfall. You see that with children, do you not? When, when one child gets a spanking and the other doesn't, the others like to peek in the room and laugh and point and, you got a spanking. They take glee, they take pleasure in the fact that someone else got in trouble. That's not what's going on here. This is not some childlike glee in David over the downfall of another but it is rejoicing in the restoration of justice and the glory of God. David is not taking pleasure in the fact that someone else has been destroyed. He's taking power, pleasure in the fact that justice has been restored and God's, God has been glorified. Verse 10 goes on with a very vivid, in fact, a, a disturbing picture. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. Wickedness will be overwhelmingly defeated. And the righteous are rejoicing in his defeat. The picture here is of total destruction. And the righteous are rejoicing in that. They're participating in it with God and they're rejoicing in it. It's an extreme picture. And here David is depicting his utter hatred for wickedness. This would be demeaning. Not only is this wickedness those who do this, not only have they been defeated, not only are they, have they been killed and wiped out, but then the victor washes his feet in their blood. It is not specific individuals' death that David delights in, but it's the general overthrow of evil. Let unrighteousness, let evil be wiped out to this level. Let it be not just taken away. Let it be humiliated. Looked to be full, shown to be foolish. Let righteousness and justice stand as such a victor that wickedness and injustice looks utterly defeated and empty. 
and rejected. So that men will say, verse 11, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges in the earth. Again, the picture here in verse 10, 11 is unrighteousness will be judged and righteousness will triumph and the righteous will benefit. As I mentioned, it's a very difficult psalm. It's a very heavy psalm. But it's a psalm that is meant to call those who are believers, who are the righteous, to rejoice in the coming justice. Evil will be defeated. Unrighteousness will not be ignored. Injustice will not triumph forever. It might seem to triumph now, but it will be defeated. Righteousness will triumph, and the righteous will benefit. And that is an encouragement to the righteous who are currently not feeling like they're triumphing in the face of injustice, who are feeling like they're being taken advantage of, who are being mocked. But not only will injustice be defeated, not only will righteousness triumph, but you will benefit. Our way of application There's really two points. Number one, hate sin. David has a burning hate for sin and injustice as he writes this. This is not just a a, a passive, oh yeah, that's, that's wrong. Show me what's right, God. This is a burning hatred for sin. A hatred that consumes him. Comes out very vividly in his writing. And secondly, love and promote justice. Love the Lord and promote justice. David's hate for sin is second only to his love for God and God's justice. Really, when it comes down to it here in the verse, in these 11 verses, This is David's overwhelming desire that as justice triumphs, God would be glorified. This is not some personal vendetta against individuals. But let justice triumph. Let justice triumph. We must hate sin and we must love love the Lord and promote justice. Given the unique nature of this psalm, I want to do something a little bit different with our prayer time this evening. Rather than taking prayer requests and doing what we do every week as we pray for each other, which is good and is powerful and we should do, I want to spend some time this evening specifically praying for evil to fail and righteousness and justice to triumph. The very thing that we see here in this psalm. 
I think it is good for us to sometimes take time to pray specifically for evil to fail, for injustice and unrighteousness to be defeated, and for righteousness and justice to triumph. We need to be reminded that that will happen, that Christ is coming, he will reign. And so even as we break up to pray, there's a couple things I want to pray for. Number one, pray for justice and righteousness to triumph in our country. Pray for those in authority. Pray for President Biden and for Vice President Harris. Pray for 